Welcome everybody to Future of Beauty Unfiltered episode 20. I am your host, Hannah Cook, Head of Growth and Innovation at the Pool Agency. And today, I say this every episode, but I'm genuinely this excited today to talk to the amazing Dr. Rabia Malik. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. No, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction now to hear all about you, and then I want to jump straight into talking actually about what you do. So Dr. Rabia Malik is the only holistic aesthetic doctor in the UK. What is that, you ask? Well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, whose entire <laughs> practice is dedicated to collagen stimulation and skin health. She deliberately chooses not to work with injectables. She is a UK trained GP who set up a holistic skin practice in 2011 and since 2019 has been based at the wellness clinic at Harrods in London. Now in 2021, you launched Skin W1, her skincare range dedicated to collagen stimulation without irritation. And when it comes to skin health, Dr. Rabia believes less is more and is an advocate for a holistic approach to solving skin concerns and aging well. Thank you so, so much for coming on here today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No. Um, so I remember when I was talking to you um, a few weeks back and I kind of was understanding what you do, one of the things that you said that I absolutely loved was, I'm the skin doctor that doesn't do needles. I don't like needles, <laughs> um, which has been really interesting um, because the more I've kind of looked into the market and the more we've understood what's kind of going on at the moment, needles are very much becoming a bigger part of a lot of people's day-to-day -day skincare routines. So as I kind of mentioned, you're the only skin practitioner um, in Harrods at the moment. Is that correct? Well, I'm part of a team. So we have oh, the wellness fat. clinic at Harrods and I am the only non-injectable doctor at Harrods. Um, but we do have a great team who, who do all sorts of things from, you know, sort of the facials and the skin treatments all the way up to, you know, much more invasive uh, injectable procedures. So we, you know, we obviously within the wellness clinic at Harrods, it's, there's a big team. My practice is very niche and I'm the only non-injectable doctor there. But I would say we have a very, um, a very diverse team. So there's something for everyone there and they're all amazing. Um, so it's a really nice place place to be but I definitely have my own my own little niche uh within yeah. within the bigger within the bigger clinic and my practice you know really has been um sort of very very niche I would say and very um sort of not at all mainstream I think I sort of started uh doing what I wanted for myself and what my friends were looking for way back you know sort of 2011 is when I started and it was really because I couldn't find what I wanted um, for myself which which is sort of what I refer to as medical beauty something in between what um, you know beauty therapists offer um, but not quite as invasive as what a lot of mm. the other mainstream aesthetic doctors were doing um, and there was no one I could find who could really you know do what I what I wanted and what my friends at the time were looking for and so I sort of decided to do it myself and that's really how the practice started so it was very organic and you know very small and over the years it's grown but the industry's also grown so you know mm. so much has sort of happened and um you know to be honest I've just sort of stuck with 
what I always was really interested in. And as you said, that's a very holistic approach to skin and skin health. And obviously, you know, being a, a medical doctor, I have a, a sort of very medical approach to it. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into needles for myself. I'm not into injectables for myself. And that's why I really wanted to set up a practice for, for other people who also wanted a different approach um, so, so that they could, you know, have something alternative um, to, to sort of do for their skin, for their yeah. general health. So tell me a little bit more about actually the journey that you've been on to get here. So we mentioned earlier on, actually, you were originally a GP, still are. Um, yes. So how how did you go from that into skin specifically? So I would say I've always been interested in skin and I've always been interested in beauty. I've always been a bit of a beauty junkie, someone who bought lots of products, makeup, was Have we all? things, <laughs> testing things. Exactly. But, you know, I'm also, um, you know, I, I always wanted to be a doctor. You know, I'm the daughter of two doctors. So I grew up in a very medical family and, you know, medicine was always something that I was really interested in. But even, um, you know, quite early on, even though I, I knew I, I really was interested in in skin because skin is really a reflection of your internal health. That's that's what I've always felt. You know, if you are healthy on the inside, it's usually reflected in in glowing um, glowing skin. And so I was always quite interested in in that. But I didn't want to do hospital medicine. So I knew quite early on that I didn't want to be, um, you know, a consultant dermatologist. But I wanted to do general practice. I, you know, I liked the idea of being in a community setting, you know, having a, pra- a small practice. And actually, there's a lot of skin in general practice. You know, uh, GPs see a, see a lot of skin in their day-to-day um, work, whether that's, you know, rashes, lumps, bumps, um, you know, acne, rosacea, all sorts of things come up. And, you know, within the context of the NHS, I was always just a little bit frustrated because I thought, there were so many things out there, but all we could really talk about within a general practice consultation was medication, so prescription medication. Mm. And it was really hard, particularly with my acne patients, it was really hard to sort of help them um, when I really only had antibiotics to prescribe. And I knew that wasn't a long-term solution. And, you know, when I started, it was still considered quite strange to talk about um, things like gut health and probiotics and, you know, so much has changed even just in the last 10, 12 years. But when I started, that was considered, you know, definitely a bit strange. Now it's much more mainstream and people are more open to to sort of understanding the links between skin and, and for example, our gut and various other things. Um, But at the time it was, you know, it's pretty frustrating being in in general practice, particularly within the context of the NHS where we, we have very limited Um, you know, resources and 10 minute consultations. And it's really hard to sort of help someone get on top of things. And I knew if I could talk to people about products, supplements, diet, lifestyle, I could really help them with their skin issues. And that's sort of why I decided to set up my own um, private practice to really focus on on that. And I mean, I love I love kind of the the mindset. And I think you're absolutely spot on over the last... (sighs) I always talk about COVID on this podcast, which drives me nuts, but it was such a pivotal point in how people actually thought about their health. Um, Right. And the narrative has changed so much over the years. I mean, the dialogue and awareness in 
skin health, as you've said, gut health, even and even actually conversations just around mental health in general and how they all holistically work together. Yeah. Because actually, bad skin can impact mental health just as much as it can lots Absolutely. of other things. You can't hide that kind of that that if you were to have a really big acne flare up, you can't hide those things, and they do have impact on your confidence, your self esteem. Um, totally. But the awareness of it, the dialogue, particularly aesthetic treatments, whether, you know, um, like Botox fillers, like we've touched on earlier, um, they've been on the rise massively over the past five years to the point where actually I looked the other day and search volumes have quadrupled uh, since 2019. Um, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> and the age ranges, the entry point age wise is actually terrifying. Like I know so many 19 year olds that have thought, had discussions around fillers or whatever already, which I just think is insane because you haven't finished developing yet. Um, yes. However, no, I agree with you. You have a very, very, as you've mentioned, different approach. Can we talk a little bit more about that specific approach? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I think it, Coming into this industry when I did, I think that, um, you know, I was already very focused on, um, you know, having a practice that wasn't injectable based. So from the start, you know, I, I trained to work with injectables. So, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I trained to inject, but I chose not to go down that route very early on because I felt like it wasn't what I wanted for myself. And I didn't want a practice that was just based around injectables. And I would say, look, each to their own, but I do feel within the past, you know, sort of five years in particular, um, there has been, you know, almost too much emphasis on injectables, particularly for people, um, you, you know, at a younger and younger age, as you, as you mentioned. And, I personally, you know, don't think that's a positive thing. And, you know, I have teenage daughters and I think that we as a as an industry also need to, um, you know, be, I think, cautious and responsible about um, this whole aesthetic world that we, uh, we, we sort of practice within. And so I, by nature, am very conservative and cautious in my approach. And, you know, as I said, each to their own, but I do think that there's almost a pressure on um, women to do certain aesthetic treatments that have become so normalized and mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that that's the way it should be. I mean, I think it's great that people have all sorts of options out there, but I also think it's good to talk about prevention, maintenance, other things you can be doing um, instead of uh, people just feeling like they have to jump straight to Botox mm. and filler, particularly, you know, younger and younger um, people where, you know, sort of late teens, early 20s, they're thinking they need to have all these things and they really don't. Mm. Um, so I am mindful of the fact that, you know, I, I'm one of the very few. I, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm still the only one, but definitely um, the only one who's had a practice for this long that has been uh, really focused on the non-injectable side of the aesthetic uh, industry. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very niche, but it's always amazing to me how people who want this approach find me. And particularly being, you know, at Harrods, I have patients from all around the world. And, you know, for various reasons, there are lots of people out there who don't want to go down this route. Mm. And so they do come and, um, uh, you know, find me. And we, we, it's not that we want to um, 
sort of let ourselves go. I mean, everyone wants to look their best and feel their best. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, and there's lots of things out there. So I would just always say it's also about education. You know, I really feel a big part of what I do and what I try to do in my practice, in my, um, you know, in my social media, everything is really just educate people and give them the information so they can make the best choices for them. And if they choose to, you know, go down the injectable route, that's totally fine, you know, each to their own. But I think there are a lot of people who don't want to go down that route, who feel compelled to. And um, I suppose that's who I'm speaking to. Uh, do you know what you're making my job really easy for me to say you've said three things that I wanted to actually point out which I think education is key so you know we've we've just recently had a podcast come out all around SPF and the differences in the impact right. that UVA and UVB have ray wise on your skin yeah. and as much as that information is readily available I think there's still so much out there that it's really hard for consumers to actually understand what they're looking at and really get to the crux of how, you know, I've speak to tech, beauty technicians all the time and I'll talk about SPF and they're like, oh, you knew that for years. And I'm like, that's great. But the average Joe doesn't. And it's finding, right. finding that balance. And I think the thing with kind of injectables is people think that's the next step. And it might be that actually once you've kind of educated yourself, looked after your health, got yourself in the best place possible and actually doing what you need to do, then it might be that that's an option for you. Whereas a lot of the right. time, particularly these younger consumers, they just jump straight to it because we are, unfortunately, particularly in the UK, always looking for a bit of a silver bullet. What's that magic miracle yes. cream that's going to just make it all go away? So tell me a bit right. more about your actual approach. So we speak, it's all about collagen production for you. Yeah, absolutely. Look, our collagen levels start to decrease from our early 20s onward. And, you know, collagen is a protein that's abundant in the body, but it makes up a a huge percentage of our skin. And it's responsible for, you know, giving your skin that plump, dewy um, effect. And it really, it really contributes to the volume in the skin. So, you know, as we get older, we want to maintain our collagen levels. And, you know, because we know that collagen levels start to decrease from a relatively young age um, there's there's lots of things that you can do to be proactive and actually the number one thing is protecting your skin from uv damage so like you touched on it's it's sunscreen which is really boring and everyone says it but it's it's the truth and you know the other the other main culprits are also environmental things so things like smoking you know i can always tell my patients who are smokers definitely has an impact on the skin and and particularly collagen levels. And then there's sort of environmental pollution, diet. So there's so many things that can contribute. There's lots of things to look at before you even get to the products and the treatments. Um, So from from my point of view, I create very holistic plans for my patients and we really look at their lifestyle. And usually when people come and see me, they're not usually coming to see me just once and that's it. You know, I've had patients for since I started, so 12 years, and now I see their daughters, I see their their husbands, their brothers, you know, end up seeing their whole families because it's not that I need to see them every month. I might only see them a few times a year, but it's about creating that plan for them and then 
you know, maintaining it and working with them over over time. And, you know, also technology changes, new treatments come up. So we're constantly reviewing what's out there and, um, you know, putting together the best possible plan for people to essentially age well. You know, that's what I'm all about. So it's prevention, maintenance, and there are treatments that are great for stimulating collagen. And, you know, the things that I specialize in, things like skin peels, um, various microneedling treatments, um, are incredibly effective at stimulating collagen. And then, of course, you know, because that's really my focus, that's what I wanted to develop in my skincare range. So I really um, looked for very potent collagen stimulating active ingredients that don't irritate the skin. So the, the gold standard is vitamin A, so tretinoin, retinol, and various derivatives of vitamin A. We know that that's the gold standard for stimulating collagen. It's been around for years, but not everyone can use it. You know, it causes a lot of irritation. Some parts of the world where it's very hot, uh, people have more sensitivity. So I was really looking for an alternative that um, combined a lot of alternative active ingredients that stimulate collagen. And that's really what led me to develop Skin W1. So in terms of my approach, it's really putting together that plan of sort of lifestyle, diet, uh, supplements, products, and then treatments. So with regards to the diet side, because obviously I think that, you know, glowing from the inside out, I think is a really important part of it. Um, yeah. there, are, there are lots of different elements that I think become quite confusing for everyday consumers. Oh, totally. Um, yes. and I, you know, we, we talk about collagen, but as I met, you know, the, the collagen has been on the market for a very long time, but yes. for consumers, there's just thousands of options, thousands and thousands of options, whether that's yeah. In, powder form, liquid form, marine, whatever it may be. Totally. And it's so difficult, I think, when people are trying to, one, eat better and actually work out what foods naturally are going to support. Yes. You know, we all know that vitamin C also kind of stimulates the body's ability to kind of start producing that collagen we also know that yeah. as you mentioned kind of unfortunately we peak too soon in my opinion you know <laughs> in your 20s that's it's all downhill but then you've got perimenopause you've got all these right. other elements that just keep depleting what are the kind of basics i think that people need to just be aware of and kind of in its simplest form to take into consideration yeah. diet wise and product wise before you then start looking at the creams that have the vitamin a and the retinoids and everything else like that in it well, you're right. I mean, it's really looking at the building blocks of collagen because collagen itself is a, is a very big molecule. So there's absolutely no point putting collagen, uh, you know, onto your skin topically. So any collagen creams, uh, products are a complete waste of time and money because we know 100% they're not going to do anything. You know, that yeah. collagen molecule is not going to be absorbed. So you can forget all of that. You know, the most you'll get from a product that actually has collagen in it in terms of a topically applied product is hydration. You know, you might just feel your skin is a little bit, um, you know, more moisturized. That's it. So I think what you're looking for in terms of, um, you know, topicals are the building blocks. So vitamin C, uh, you know, particularly L-ascorbic acid. We know that, you know, five to 15 percent concentration, depending on the formulation, will help to stimulate collagen levels in the skin. So that's probably, you know, one of the main ones. Um, hyaluronic acid is another one, uh, niacinamide. So these are, again, antioxidants that help with building 
um, collagen in the skin. And then when you're looking orally at supplementation, look, the collagen supplements out there, it's a minefield. I'm constantly reviewing. Um, you know, we get sent a lot of product all the time. So I'm always uh, looking at new supplements that are coming onto the market. And again, what I would say is, it is very confusing and it's constantly evolving. Um, and there's a lot of marketing hype around a lot of these products. So I think in terms of basic principles with diet, I would say you need protein because at the end of the day, collagen is a protein and it's, you need the, uh, you know, amino acids to, to build and to make this. And essentially, you know, that you, that's what it's going to be broken down into. So you need sort of peptides in order to make collagen. If you want that collagen to be absorbed, it needs to be in peptide form. And if you want to build collagen, you need to have protein in your diet. So be mindful of that. And then fundamentally, I think if you're looking at diet and supplementation, it's actually, again, vitamin C, antioxidants, hyaluronic acid. These are the things that you want to be looking for, both in diet and supplements. And in terms of, you know, my perspective is always looking at the science. So I always want to look at the evidence base for what is actually going to deliver a result. And we know that, for example, liposomal vitamin C is well absorbed and can lead to collagen um, development in the skin if you take it orally. So that's one that's worth taking. Hyaluronic acid is another one that's worth taking in supplement form. But in terms of diet, just generally, you know, good quality protein and you know, trying to have plenty of antioxidants. So that's, you know, the fruit mm. and vegetables we all know that are good for us. Everyone so, loves a blueberry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, so I think it's just the principles of a good um, uh, balanced diet. But again, you know, it's constantly uh, evolving and changing because our diet today and, and the quality of our food today is unfortunately not what it used to be. So, you know, you can definitely um, supplement and uh, benefit, but it's, it's controversial. Not everyone agrees that that is the way to go, um, particularly when it comes to doctors. But I, again, I say, oh, I always look at the science. So I will review and ask, you know, all the brands who send me products, I'll always ask them for the studies. Um, and, and then I make my, you know, recommendations accordingly. So I'm really careful about, you know, not, not aligning myself with brands because yeah. as I said, I think things keep evolving. So I will keep looking at whatever's coming onto the market and I'll recommend the best thing at that time for my patients. So it's always changing. And I feel the same way about product as well. Um, you know, I'll always evaluate whatever's new and, um, you know, recommend what I feel is the best for my patients because ultimately I think that's what they're coming to me for. So mm. I feel like my objective, uh, objectivity is, is super important and and I think people really appreciate that yeah absolutely I think as well when you're kind of when you approach it from the angle that you are you kind of do need to have a bit more of an open mind as to what new ingredients are coming in I think that the thing that people forget about collagen you know the beauty market has done such a great job of just kind of pigeonholing it to say it's just for skin hair and nails but the reality is collagen actually is good for so many other things within your body your yeah, tendons absolutely. your ligaments your muscle tissue production you know it, it's totally. and and so i think it's actually helping some of the collagens 
exactly. And some of the collagen supplements, honestly, uh, people, you know, start to feel an improvement in their joints yep. before they see anything in their skin. So skin is, is the last organ to get, uh, you know, to benefit from uh, dietary supplements. So often people will feel a difference in their joints uh, when they start taking some form of collagen, whether that's peptide based or, you know, any type of collagen supplement. Um, but, you know, to see a difference in skin, it it's... Uh, it, not all of them deliver so um you know it's it's really interesting but collagen has as you said many benefits uh when taken orally for the gut for joints it, it's the most abundant protein in the body so um for sure there are lots and lots of benefits but you know when i'm thinking about skin in particular and the aesthetic side mm. then i'm much more critical about you know what these supplements are actually um anyway. going to deliver yeah because uh, people buy them and take them and and um you know they need to feel they need to feel a difference <laughs> absolutely what um i've just had a thought around your kind of clients so you mentioned you have men women what are the differences between men and women when it comes to skin health well i mean overall look we're we're all uh, aging with time but i would say you know one big differences of course men have thicker skin than women do so sometimes uh you know the way they age is different i think um a lot of men still don't routinely wear sun protection so you see a lot more sun damage quicker particularly in those men who are playing a lot of sport who or who are outdoors a lot i think that's one one big thing um but i also think that many men are becoming much more aware and are now starting to use the same products that their um, their partners may be using so you know there is there is more awareness and i think they're more conscious and they want to be more preventative and proactive so um you know there's been a big increase in the number of male patients in in the aesthetic industry overall so um you know i, I think that's a positive thing i think that overall they're more proactive and you know they I would say the difference is that they want, they definitely don't want fussy multi-step routines, you know, whereas I have some of my female patients who happily uh, do num do a number of steps, you know, I don't have any male patients who, who want to add more things into their routine. They want to really simplify it. Uh, do you think that's been because of the experience though? I think sometimes, so for like me personally with my skincare, if, you know, I love, it's my, it's my, 15, 20 minutes of me time late in the evening yeah. before I go to bed. And we've got seven different steps going on with serums and creams and scrubs and acids and all these other things. And it's kind of, it's just those nice, those, that nice period of time to kind of unwind. And I think skincare actually can be like that if you really enjoy it. There's so many amazing products out there with the right. smells. Do you think there's a difference from a hormone perspective as well? Because obviously men's hormones set up, you know, hormones, as we all know, they massively impact the skin. Of course. Yeah. I mean, look, the biggest change for, for women is obviously menopause, where, you know, average age 51, uh, estrogen levels uh, decrease significantly. And that has a huge impact on skin. And the two most notable things that I see in clinic are increase in dryness and an increase in sagginess because of the loss of collagen and elastin. So, you know, suddenly people feel that 
their skin is not as um, as tight, as lifted, as plump as it used to be. And, you know, sometimes it can be a really dramatic change, uh, particularly if they've had any um, weight loss around that time as well, because that can just also contribute to loss of volume in the face. So I think that's one hormone hormonal um you know significant hormonal change in the skin and you know for many women also pregnancy can be a time when they have a lot of skin changes often though um that goes back to normal after they they've had the baby but not always you know pigmentation is a really big issue and that often starts in pregnancy for many of my patients and then they're they're sort of managing managing it forever afterwards so yes, hormones definitely play a part, and you know men men have obviously hormonal changes, but um, you know perhaps less drastic or less evident in skin than women. Mm. So, in your view, then, what are the kind of key things consumers should be doing with their skin versus what brands at times are kind of putting out there as options to do? You know, as you mentioned, sometimes yes. there's too much out there. So let's bring it back to basics. Yeah. <laughs> so the basics are really simple. You know, I think it, it's it's about prevention. So sun protection from, from an early age. You know, I think if you can get into the habit of using a mineral-based sunscreen every morning, um, you know, that's that's probably the best thing you can do. And just don't put your face in direct sun. You know, when you're out and about, don't, don't try to avoid sunburn on your face. I think your body... I, I, is fine and of course we need some sun to make vitamin d but on your face it's worth keeping it out of direct sun and and just getting into the habit of, of regularly applying sunscreen so that's number one non-negotiable and then it's just about having a good basic routine so as i said you know less is more some sort of antioxidant serum in the morning and a basic moisturizer, you know, if you need it. Otherwise, serum followed by sunscreen in the morning. And then at night, I would always say to people, you know, it really depends on your skin type and how sensitive you are, how your skin's feeling. But generally speaking, I would say after about 30, 35, some sort of product that stimulates collagen, whether that's a, a retinol vitamin A base or something like the product I developed, Skin W1, which is uh, collagen stimulating actives, but not vitamin A based. So, you know, also things like niacinamide, that's also great. So, you know, there are a few ingredients out there, but try to use some sort of serum at night. And then if your skin is dry, a moisturizer on top. So you don't need a lot of product. Mm. You just need sort of cleanser, serum, sunscreen, and a moisturizer. How many times should you wash your face? Because this has been a real point of contention <laughs> for me. So I... I'm yes. going to get told off now. So I only wash my face before I go to bed. Whereas, because <laughs> in, in my head, I'll tell you why, here's my logic. I mean, I do, I, do, I do, you know, give it a little spritz every now and again, but overwashing it for me, historically, yes. it's always been quite dry. And there's been yes. so many different things of wash it here, wash it there. You shouldn't wash it in the morning because actually you've woken up and there's nothing on your face, but then there's also, there's so many different things. So how yeah. many times, girl, should we wash our face? <laughs> well, I wish I could say there's a definitive answer, but you know, it really no. depends on your skin. <laughs> I personally, look, I personally would say twice a day. I wash my skin. 
I wash my face uh, morning and evening. And that's what I encourage my patients to do. But it's also dependent on the type of cleanser and face wash you're using. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you want to be using something relatively gentle, um, but you do want to wash your face in the morning because overnight you are sweating, you know, the sebum being produced. Um, So it is worth removing that and then you have a clean base to put your product on so that then it's absorbed well and you will actually get the benefit of those active ingredients so that's you know that my logic behind um the approach that i have but of course you know i have had some patients have incredibly dry skin and then sometimes it's really about figuring out the right products for them to use because you also don't want to over cleanse and i've seen this a lot as well particularly with the rise of all the acid-based um, face washes and that's terrible for your skin barrier so you're actually potentially causing more problems so it's always finding the right product um, and you know getting that balance right for your particular skin but I would say twice a day with a gentle face wash and wow, do a double yeah. cleanse at night if you're always always double cleanse <laughs> when you've got makeup on I'm here for that I think that's yes. you've just said something that's spot on as well is uh, we recently did a podcast around the microbiome of your skin which is mm. just a whole new ecosystem yes. and I think it is but it's so easy as a consumer to just go what on earth is this now I mean it makes you not want to touch anything spray anything <laughs> do anything yeah and so there's this balance between letting my body do what it's designed to do naturally versus and I think that's where when you have problematic skin I think the conversation becomes very very different I've definitely noticed as well um, the search terms of acne have gone up massively but also I think the definition of acne has massively changed there are a lot of people now where because you know from an aesthetics point of view everyone's looking for that perfectly plump Complete, you know, clear complexion that um, you get a couple of spots for a period of time because it's that time in your cycle, or you've had a couple of heavy nights, which is totally normal and well. And the next thing is, I've got acne, so you're just bringing in these really heavy acids that are stripping your skin. And I think it's finding that balance, you know, whether it's acne, eczema, rosacea, you know, the amount of children now that are actually developing eczemas more than ever before. Um, right. So there's, it's a very complicated landscape. How would you help someone that has problematic skin? Right. So myself, I typically I'm quite lucky. Don't typically really get many spots. Skin's quite clear. Um, but actually, my son has got eczema, and that you yeah. so the products that I would use for my dry, normal kind of skin, as I averted commas, guys here, spe- air speech marks on a podcast. Um, <laughs> versus someone with eczema what's your approach for that do you still start with the diet first yes i do i mean i look i definitely look at diets a diet and lifestyle and supplementation because actually something like uh eczema um we know that omega-3 has plays such a huge role so sometimes even just adding in an omega-3 supplement or you know more fatty essential fatty acids into the diet um, can really make a difference. So I, I think it's it's putting it all together. You know, you do need obviously the right emollients. You need to be using the right products. You need to be avoiding certain things that are, you know, I, people with eczema often they're still, um, you know, they're overwashing their skin. So they actually need to put less water onto their skin because that 
irritates it makes it worse and it's also the temperature of the water and then it's the kind of uh, fabric that is in their clothing that can also make a difference so it's, it's looking at all these different things um but diet and supplementation you know definitely has a role so you know whether that's adding in an omega-3 or a probiotic um you know looking at their vitamin d that's the other thing that ha ha plays a huge role with a lot of uh, skin issues we know that decreased vitamin d levels can contribute to um worse psoriasis for example so i i look at all of that Mm. And then, you know, recommend products and, um, you know, treatments are always the very last thing. But obviously something like eczema psoriasis, you're trying to manage it with uh, with products. And, and um, for me, diet and supplements, having said that, there are times when I do prescribe medication if it's required. Um, and that's totally fine. What I always say to patients is that, you know, the, the prescription medication that we have um, ideally, we, we want to use it judiciously. So use it when you really need it, because that's what it's great for. But don't be over-reliant on it, because then sometimes it's not as effective as it could be. So it's it's trying to really have a holistic approach. But I'm not against prescription medication, and I use it judiciously. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have antibiotics and to have steroids and to have all these um you know, tools that really help alleviate a lot of suffering. It's just how we use them. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're Accutane as an example is one of those kind of things where it's been associated so much now with acne, but obviously as everyone that has used it know, there are consequences of that yeah. in other areas as well. And it's very much, you've got to have kind of tried as much as you can holistically to try and get those results. Yeah. Are, um, so just going back to, I'm curious about the wellness um, clinic part that you work in with Harrods. Are there any kind of key themes of uh, challenges in the skin or that what people are looking for? Because you must see the most amazing range of people yeah. coming through those doors <laughs> on a daily basis. You know, you mentioned that the, um, you know, you've got clients from all over the world. You know, are there any similarities between us and people from other markets and what they're kind of looking for i would say that of course you know ultimately people want to find a solution and i think in more recent years i think there has been a trend uh, well, I would say in the middle of the past, if I look at my career over 12 years, I would say somewhere about five or six years ago, everyone just wanted the quick fix. And then I would say more recently, I think people have understood that actually, uh, you know, a long term uh, approach actually takes time. So you can't always get a solution in one treatment, for example. And I think there's more understanding of that now than maybe a few years ago um but you, there's always a mix you know i think there's a range it's 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 human nature it's personalities you know there's there's something for everyone i think the great thing about the wellness clinic is because we have a big team and it's quite diverse there really is something for everyone whether you want the latest cutting edge um you know invasive aggressive treatment out there you know we, there'll be a doctor who, who can offer that and if you want sort of the other end of the spectrum which is probably me then there's that as well and then we've got great a great team of um therapists as well who who support all of us so and we've got you know the the dietitian and we've got acupuncturist and we've got 
a whole a whole um you know range of people with different skills who are incredibly good at what they do and all of that works together so i really like that we have a very diverse team and um everyone works together very well and you know it's it's a really nice it's a nice place to be but at the same time i would say in terms of people who come to see us yes from all around the world or different walks of life um and different personalities so I, I i always feel even in medicine i think it's you find uh the doctor who is most aligned with your approach and what you want to achieve and there's something for everyone and would you say that what's kind of more important from what you see is it this kind of as we, we talk about this this quest for maintaining that look of youth or is it actually feeling good first because what we find in our research is is there's very much a shift towards I'd rather feel good than always look good as a starting point. And because the reality is when you feel good, it kind of shows. Absolutely. Look, that's definitely my um, my belief and what I work towards in my practice, because I think ultimately aging well is about feeling good. And if you're not um, you know, feeling healthy, if you don't have energy, if you don't um, uh, sort of have your, for example, your hormones in balance and everything else in place, then, you know, you can do all the treatments in the world and it won't necessarily, you won't necessarily be happy with what you're doing. So mm. I think it's it's looking at the whole big picture. Um, uh, in terms of, I think over the years, I think that people are changing in in what they're looking for but there's a range you know you always have people who come in and just want the quick fix who who come in with a with a picture and say they want to look like this you know we of course you get that as well um or they come in with somebody's uh you know lips or uh, cheekbones <laughs> and you know that's kind of the look they want um or face tune you know it's but but you also have people who maybe have done a lot of things and actually have realized for themselves that now they want to work on on a different approach um and it's it is about looking after their health and um you know their well-being and there's lots of different components to that i think there's more understanding and awareness of that as well over the past few years and you know maybe as a result of covid i think people's perspective has changed i agree i i like i said i try not to talk about it but it always comes up <laughs> because it was such a big pivotal point particularly for the beauty space you know for the yes. first time ever in this way as we all know the world slowed down but also we looked at our faces more than ever before you know you right. and i you and i are sat on a zoom call right now you know and and as yes. human nature you can't help but kind of glance so you're more aware of all of those i don't want to call them imperfections but the things that you've decided you don't like for whatever reason um and i think but also because of that people were wearing less makeup i mean i definitely had I, I mean i'm not wearing any now but i had that mindset of well am i going to put a load of makeup on i'm not going anywhere that's so wasteful yeah. and so actually it made a lot of people go i'm actually going to fix the canvas rather than trying to just cover it and that was that massive shift and i think that shift hasn't really gone away because people have started looking after themselves in a different way and thinking about it more and investing which is why the supplements market exploded in the way it had right and yeah. since since then i don't think anyone's really gone back because they've actually realized they do feel better their confidence in general yes is better they are because they're looking after themselves having more energy so all of those things kind of do group together and show um 
I want to kind of just talk a little bit about Skin W1, if that's okay. Um, So you work with so many different products in the clinic. Like there must be so many on the shelf that you do use for this, that, and the other little apothecary. Yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) Why then did you create Skin W1? Yeah, that's it's a great question because I have always worked with a lot of product. I think, you know, more than 20 different product ranges and we're constantly, um, you know, evaluating and looking at what's new, as I mentioned, and I'm always testing things and I, and I do love product, you know, I'm always excited when I get something new. Um, now I just tend to, to sort of believe less of the marketing hype, but I'm still always excited when there's something um, new that comes, comes in the, the post for me to test. But I think what I realized, um, you know, probably, I think it was really back in 2015, 2016, you know, I'd spent a good few years working with a lot of product and there had been a few new active ingredients that I was starting to work with in clinic that had just come onto the market relatively recently. And they were, you know, technologically quite advanced, very sophisticated, and we're getting great results in clinic. And there weren't really retail versions of that of those particular ingredients. So these were things that I was using in clinic that came from from the US. And, you know, that sort of started my my interest in product development, because I'd always up to up until that point, worked with a product from many different brands. And I always thought, you know, there's no point, I don't want to make another product, because there's so much product out there. And, you know, I don't just want to add another random product um, to the world. But, you know, around that time, when I started working with these newer active ingredients, it, it made me think, well, actually, um, it would be great to have this in a retail version. And I was also at that point working with a lot of people who had um, issues with vitamin A. So, you know, obviously, you know, as we touched on vitamin A, so tretinoin, retinols and various other derivatives are the gold standard for collagen stimulation and have been around for a long time. So, you know, I was recommending them in various forms and, you know, that I still had patients who couldn't tolerate them. And so I was always looking for alternatives. So the alternative to vitamin A that would stimulate collagen. And, you know, some of these newer ingredients um, were were actually really good. And it was at around that time that I started thinking, well, what I would love to do is put all of these active ingredients together in one product. And there wasn't anything on the market at that time um, that really put all of those things together without any irritants. So I wanted my version of, uh, you know, my wish list of ingredients really for myself and for my patients. And so in 2017, I decided I would start to work on, um, you know, a serum. So that was the product that I really, um, you know, spent a lot of time focusing on. And, you know, we have a very small range. So we have a serum, um, a, a moisturizer, a cleanser and a facial oil. So, you know, really, really, limited and focused range of you know four products we have an eye cream coming out in a few months but i really wanted to keep it very small very niche and just focused on these active ingredients and um and that that was really skin w1 so we launched in 2021 so in the middle of covid um wow (laughs) so not the best time to launch and definitely a lot of challenges you know shipping delays issues with you know, raw materials, cost of goods going up, you know, anyone in the industry knows it was it was a tough time to to 
bring a product to market. But, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that that I did. And it's been great to, to see how it's um, been received and to get the feedback, to have the support of Harrods and to have won a few industry awards for the serum in particular. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy with um, with how it's how it's gone, although it was a lot of hard work. Yeah, I did. I- project of love for sure do you think yes. you'll um as the as kind of ingredients change and things innovate do you think you will look at changing and evolving those formulations over time because obviously it's an always moving market right absolutely yes i think that's one of the the most important things because i made this these products from scratch you know i think that i will definitely always work on the formulations because if something newer and better comes along then I want it in my product so um you know I I think that's part of part of the product development journey I mean for now I'm really happy with the formulations as they are but of course as things as new things come into the market I think that's that's the whole the whole point if if there was something new or better or we you know we realized a different concentration of active was was you know, more beneficial than I would, um, we would evolve the formulations and develop them. I think that's the benefit of doing it from scratch. But it's also, you know, very time consuming, costs a lot of money. Um, So it's not a, it's not easy. But yes, long term, I think that my formulations will will most likely evolve and hopefully get better and better. No doubt. Um, I just want to circle back to something you said quickly around um, retinol. I yes. think it's such a key retinol, retinoid, how, you know, all these yeah. different variations. It's definitely over the last, I'd say, even just two years, become such a, a dominant word and ingredient narrative, however you want to position it when it comes to anything anti-aging. But as you've touched on, quite a few people with sensitive skin. I mean, I've got really sensitive eyes, so I really struggle with certain products as well, particularly Mm. the skin around here, um, that you can't use them. But also consumers aren't necessarily as educated when it comes to how much of it you use. And so one of the problems when it comes to working with retinol is if you actually use it too much, all of the good goodness and all the goodies and the expectations of what you're going to get, it kind of becomes a bit counterproductive. How do you right. feel about kind of retinol and those kind of types of products? And when you speak to your clients, how do you manage their expectations when it comes to using the right things in the right way? Because I think that's one of the challenges with the skincare market as well. Like you touched on, you've got all these peeling products now, but you can do it yeah. too much. Totally. And, you know, the vitamin A derivatives, so all of that whole class of, of product, um, including all the retinols, is, you know, they have a lot of positives, but they are associated with with some side effects. So, you know, potential irritation, dryness, um, flakiness for a lot of people. Having said that, I think the technology has also evolved and the formulations are getting better and better. So I think now consumers have a lot more options. But again, that just makes it really confusing for people. So my job is to really sift through what's out there and, you know, look at somebody's skin and, you know, understand their their kind of 
their history, what they've used, where they're at, and then make a recommendation that would be suitable for their skin type. And obviously that's what I do all the time. So, um, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of what would work for somebody and maybe not for somebody else. But of course, if you're a consumer and you're walking into um, you know, a space NK or, or going online to try and find a restaurant, it's, it's very confusing. And I totally get that. And people get very confused with percentages because they're, they're not, they're not equal, different formulations, different percentages, different actives. Um, so that it's very hard to, to gauge what is lower and what's higher. Um, different brands do it differently as well because they're using different compounds. So I totally understand it is very confusing. What I would say uh, as a general rule is always start with less and build it up. So I, I sometimes say to people, you know, just you can start with almost any retinol product and use it once a week at night and slowly build it up. So maybe then you go to twice a week at night after a few weeks and then alternate nights after a few weeks and then see how your skin goes. Um, but that's probably the easiest way to introduce any sort of um, retinol or vitamin A product. And also, you know, put moisturizer on top. So that will help to prevent, um, you know, dryness and potential irritation. So, um, you know, that's that's probably my my general rule of thumb. But a lot of it is about finding the right formulation for your skin. And do you think that the best way to do that is to speak to a practitioner first? Or do you think? Well, I, I think it saves a lot of time and um, trial and error for a lot of people, you know, to, to go straight to, to a, you know, a trusted source of information. But there are also, um, you know, it, dep it depends on the individual. I think I also have some, some of my patients now read so much and are so, um, you know, educated. There's so much information out there. So, you know, they come and tell me about all the different options that they've, um, you know, explored. And, and that's great. You know, some people really enjoy that process of discovery and, you know, trying things out. Um, so that's fine as well. You know, you, there's, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of reviews. Um, but I think for for, for the majority of my patients, I think they're looking for a trusted source of information and they they would prefer a professional recommendation. Um, and I, as I said, I think it just saves you the trial and error. Mm, I think it's the diagnosis part, actually. I think it's really easy or it's easier now because of the amount of information that's out there to actually work out what you need to do once you know what the problem is. But I think sometimes... Yes not uh, figuring like, out the problem yes uh, yeah like having a little bit of redness here by your nose which is where the skin's yeah. really thin <laughs> and just lots of capillaries and things it doesn't mean you have rosacea or absolutely yeah you know, and so it's it's that that's the issue I think a lot of the time is the diagnosis part rather than always the treatment <laughs> yeah no that's very true as well and I, I mean look that's that's why I always say to people yes go and see your doctor if you have a you know, a rash, a lump, a bump, something like that, see your GP first, you know, because at least get the right diagnosis. As you say, that is fundamental. And I think my, uh, you know, my recommendation, my advice before is more, you know, sort of general if you have no issues, but if you have an issue, then definitely get the right diagnosis before you try and treat it and avoid Dr. Google, you know, as we all say, I think you'll just end up, end up going down a rabbit hole because there's just so much, um, you know, information out there and, and it's hard to figure it out. 
Mm. I have loved talking to you and I could genuinely because I love skincare talk about this for hours but I have one last question for you if that's okay this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so so much and I'm definitely oh, coming into Harrods the next time I'm in London to see you in the clinic oh please do please I will do. I can't wait um so <laughs> you mentioned very early on that you because of all your experience you can very quickly cut through some of the marketing waffle that uh, is aligned <laughs> to products sometimes for um marketeers and brand managers yes. and people listening that genuinely want to do good but obviously it's a very crowded space what's that yes. one piece of advice through your lens when you've seen hundreds of products and worked with lots yeah. of different people what's one, your one piece of advice you could give them on how to kind of navigate the skincare market I think for marketers, if they're looking, you know, at a product in particular, I think it's really understanding who the product is for. So it's knowing your audience. Um, I think that is key. And I feel that way even in my work, um, because if I understand the person sitting in front of me, um, then I can much better adapt what I'm talking to them about. And I think from a marketing point of view, I think the most successful marketing is actually when you know who you're talking to. Um, so I think whether, you know, whether it's uh, you're trying to market a product or a service, um, you know, treatment, it's always, you know, who is this for? I think that's probably my best uh, bit of advice. And it's what I always try and think about myself when I'm even thinking about product development and all the rest of it. This is what I'm trying to focus on. Who am I trying to help? I know. And sometimes I yeah. think people you want to help as many people as you can. But by doing so, you help no one. And it's, it's yes. finding that bad. Pick a side, pick a side. Well, yeah, and it's tough. It is tough. But I, I think the, uh, in, my, in my experience, um, I, I think the more focused you can be, um, the more successful the marketing tends to be. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy. I cannot wait to come and see you in the clinic. Guys, we hope oh, you've enjoyed thank today. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And we'll see you next time. Take care.